Some candidates run because they're smart. Others run because they have a great personality. With Reed Smith, it's a no-brainer. When you think of all the qualities that make up the best politicians, what do you think of? A last name that's like so many other people's last name? Check. A person who often speaks in complete sentences? Check. A person with cool hand gestures that don't creep you out? Check. Reed is a candidate you could trust in. He's got an endearing Southern accent. He wears bow ties. He speaks fondly of humble beginnings. He even likes local sports teams. Listen to those voices in your head. Certainly at least one of them is telling you Reed Smith is the best candidate. Vote Reed Smith, an American you can vote for. This is Reed Smith, and I approve this message. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and, of course, have a little fun along the way. I am joined today by my co-host, Reed Smith. Reed is a digital marketing strategist, a social media expert, and all-around great guy. You can find him online through most of the social platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn. And then he also has a great website at socialhealthinstitute.com. Reed, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Always good to be here. Uh, You are uh, listening also to Chris Boyer on the other side of the microphone. You can find him online at ChristopherBoyer.com where he writes uh, about working with hospitals. And you can catch him on social media at Chris Boyer. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You could visit transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at transparently.com. We actually skipped over our silver anniversary last week and didn't even mention it. Another another mini milestone. Well, Reed, I'm sorry we missed our silver anniversary. I guess I wasn't reminded because I didn't get my gift in the mail. Yes. I don't know. What is silver? Is it silver? Is that why they call it? That would make sense, wouldn't it? It would. Absolutely. Yeah. Silver. Silver. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I don't have any ideas. I'm out. Sorry. Good show today. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the support, the feedback, the continued comments uh, that we see on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other places. Uh, very much appreciate that. If you are headed over to uh, iTunes to subscribe, I uh, would love if you would leave us a rating and review. Obviously, uh, any recommendations and um, you know, passing this along to friends and family and colleagues is, is much appreciated. And don't forget to follow us online at our Touchpoint Podcast uh, Twitter account. And you can also find us on touchpointpodcast.com. There you go. All right, today's topic, maybe not overly obvious from the, uh, from the title, <laughs> but we wanted to talk a little bit about managing physician profiles and keeping them accurate. 
We're, we're just talking about physicians. You know, there are some similarities where you can probably tie back to facility slash hospital service line listings, listings in general. But specifically, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today has to do with physicians because you're probably not going to change the address of your hospital very often, but there's a pretty good chance the suite number, the address, the practice name, whatever it is, is going to change on a number of physician profiles over the course of this week, this month, this year. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about what does that look like? How does it work? How do you try to keep it accurate? Where does this come from? What do we do? Best practices, thoughts, mm-hmm. maybe more questions than answers. I don't know. We'll see what all we get into. Has this ever happened to you where a doctor has called you up and said, my listing is wrong, please fix it? Yeah, it's typically such and such Googled such and such, <laughs> and it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you fix the Googles? You know, kind of a deal. Yeah, you know, and it's a realistic, it's a realistic ask. And so let's talk for just one second, you know, on on how it gets to this point. So you have a physician that goes to school for a long time and then probably does or at least 99 times out of 100 does a residency maybe then onto a fellowship before they actually end up at your organization in most cases in maybe private practice maybe they're employed physician it doesn't really matter but they end up actually in practice Mm -hmm. in your town so you've got an address at their residency location wherever that was probably another town could be another country but probably at least another town and state then fellowship sometimes that's the same Mm mm-hmm Somebody goes to Mayo, stays there all the way through their fellowship. Sometimes they go to UAB, you know, the University of Alabama, Birmingham for their residency. And then they're over at uh, Southwestern in, in Dallas or something for their fellowship. And so now you got two sets of addresses. Now they've come to your organization. And in that first 60 or 90 days, everybody's realizing, hey, some of these sites out here have an address from Birmingham. Some of them have an address from Dallas, you know, et cetera. So by the nature of their education, they're creating online thumbprints. It's not just on the external websites. Obviously, that's there. But it's also within all of the databases that we're capturing of them. The use of data and, and having an accurate physician profile there's so many applications within a hospital system with, you know, even from an external perspective and the footprint of that doctor going through the various different places, moving, whatever it may be. There's just so much behind that, that it becomes a, a little bit hard to kind of track down exactly where the sure. problem might be. I think maybe as we talk about this, let's, let's talk about why it's important to have an accurate physician profile. Within a health system, a hospital, even a provider practice, whatever it may be, what are the different uses of physician profiles? I think the most obvious is when someone Googles somebody, they find the right information, right? Like that's the overarching piece to this is having accurate data online or data integrity online that when someone in your community is looking for said internal medicine doctor, that they actually find them. You know, we, we want to make sure, you know, that that piece of information is kept up to date just from a patient experience standpoint even. 
And then it's not just patients, right? The referral physicians in the community that are making referrals or trying to find out more about this doctor. Maybe they don't have a relationship. Maybe they're a new primary care doctor that comes to market and they're looking for a specialist in that area and they want to research. Yeah. And along those lines, you've got physician sales, outreach, physician relationship type folks that are going around when a new doctor comes to town and you know, introducing that doctor to potential referral sources. Well, you know, that, that collateral that they've printed out may or may not make it very long in the office. So those folks are going online to make referrals. Mm-hmm. Need to make sure the information is correct. Uh, you've got, you know, continuing medical education, yep. for example. You know, that's a whole nother piece to this is CME information that either the hospital's producing, maybe they're taking online. Yeah, you also, uh, related to that is the accreditations, making sure the accreditation is up to date. We want to make sure that that record is right. But even more so, let's go very internal. HR needs to have an accurate listing of that physician and where they're at so that they can actually manage that if they're employed by the hospital. I know that doesn't happen in Texas. Even in Texas, you have medical staff offices that have to have that information and it needs to be correct, obviously, for enrollment and credentialing within the system. You know, you're credentialing these physicians to actually practice medicine legally at your facility or at your hospital. And in Texas, if they're not employed, you know, you need to have those accurate records uh, to make sure all that stuff's in place. Let's take it even further. If you're if you're maybe managing a network, you're you're responsible for like a clinically integrated network or a, a narrow network in your market, then you need to have accurate data so you can understand your physician population, the ones that are going to be part of this, and maybe even track some important information around their accreditation within this network, uh, their referral patterns, that sort of thing. That's important, and also performance management. I know that a lot of uh, in, from an internal perspective. There are a lot of people that are looking to have accurate information about physicians, their listings, their uh, information about where they're at, where they're practicing, so that they can actually generate some performance management reports. There's a lot of different applications in which an accurate physician profile becomes very important for an organization to have. And we'll get into more of this, but a lot of those internal pieces become data sources for what ultimately is external or even third-party technology vendors. So all of these applications, all of these different uh, areas of where an organization potentially needs to have accurate physician profile information, why is it so hard for us to have this managed correctly? Well, a number of things, I think. So there are a lot of data inputs. You know, we just talked about some of those. And then there's a lot of information online and everybody, there's no, there's no central source of truth in a lot of cases. Now, granted, your physician staff office, the folks that are doing the credentialing and enrollment, you know, that is a central source of truth, but it's not set up to then disseminate that information. Right. And I think part of it too is depending on that data source that you're talking about, they have a different focus on what's the important information to collect. Is it important, for example, like when we talk about accreditation, the accreditation database, they only care about updating the, the accreditations on a regular basis, maybe every two years, maybe every three years, depending on where you're at. To them, they don't really care a lot about like making sure that the most accurate practice ad- ad- address is caught up in that database. They're focusing on different data as being more important than other data. Correct. You know, holistic 
data source is not necessarily uh, their focus. Again, they're not set up to disseminate information. The information that currently resides online was not as heavily weighted some years ago or it wasn't there at all. And so it wasn't important. So as these systems have matured and evolved, and by systems, it could just be the paper trail, you know, whatever the organization uses, you know, just perception has changed. And so all those things we've talked about to this point have to do with experience. Now, it may be patient experience. It may be provider experience as far as making referrals. It could be a number of things, but it all drives back to some level of experience and what people are finding is not correct and or it's not wholly correct. So some, some you know, one website may be 100% accurate. The other one may be 73% accurate. One of them, it's completely missing. That becomes really a big challenge. I mean, I gave a presentation about this at the forum a couple of years ago. And one of the things I put forward is, are we trying to serve too many purposes from this one physician profile? Is there too much emphasis on having one database serving all of these these purposes. And I think that that becomes something that we want to ask. We want to question exactly. I, we we kind of took it upon ourselves to sort of list out some of the databases that might be out there just so we could get a sense. We talked a little bit about, about this. But when you're in a hospital or health system, some of the databases that you can actually potentially tap into, there's typically a credentialing database that you're using that's being used by uh, physician management. That database, yep. again, is primarily built to track credentialing, uh, but that feeds into many different data sources. You've also got things that they're members of that is also a database that's holding some source of truth as well that's getting pushed out, right? So you've got, mm-hmm. like in Texas, the Texas Medical Association. You know, they're members of that. They have a database of all of their members. You've also got uh, you know professional organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American uh, Board of Internal Medicine, you know, the, the place where they get board certified. Those are all, you know, places that, again... External people, not just the hospital, but other external sources, technology vendors, you know, other places like ranking websites and things like that are pulling data from as the source of truth. And you've probably seen this relative to your hospital as well as you go there and you go, that's not the name of our hospital. Right. You know, or whatever it may be. And they're pulling that from some sort of a system. And so you mentioned credentialing also inside the hospital. You've got, you know, marketing databases. You know, th- those mean a variety of things, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could be everything from an e-news list <laughs> that was used to communicate to physicians about Grand Rounds uh, or some sort of CME offering. But again, we're trying to allow this data to disseminate into too many places. When I worked at a, at a hospital system, we also had another database where we contain, where we used to uh, marry with the credentialing data to make a physician profile. So in that database, we carried a bio on the doctor, and then we had photographs and ultimately videos that were related to that doctor. And all of that was designed to drive towards an online physician profile. So that's another type of marketing database that we had that we would keep track of to make sure that we're keeping information. So again, as you walk that backwards, then no one truly has control of the entire profile. Well, and then think about like call centers. Call centers have databases too of their mm-hmm. physicians, which doctors to refer to, uh, to triage to, which doctors are within that you know carry this type of insurance. And typically, often, that's a separate database that's being used. 
you mentioned HR earlier. You know, that's another one for from the employed side, medical staff, you know, more from the credentialing or non-employed side, credentialing enrollment. We've talked about CRM in the past, you, you, and we haven't really gotten too terribly deep into this topic, so maybe for a future podcast, but PRM, the CRM for physicians, basically. You know, that's another place that we're keeping an awful lot of data. You know, some of it that's more action-based or really a landscape of, you know, how they participate. And then obviously the the patient record or the EMR, EHR kind of offering, um, you know, is, is housing an awful lot of data, more again from their activities probably, but there's a lot of, lot of information in there. And so we, we've listed an awful lot. And I think an interesting point to key on, and we've said this, but just to kind of reiterate or kind of succinctly bring this to a point is all these are, are focused on very different things because they have different priorities, right? So right. medical staff or HR, they're worried about, do I have all the paper in this file that allows them to practice medicine here? They're not worried about if someone Googles this guy's name, does it have all the information it needs to have and is it correct? They're worried about when they step foot on this campus, can they treat a patient? Right. Are they legally allowed to uh, treat a patient? Now we're starting to augment even more where from a marketing perspective, obviously we're putting bios and other things like that. Now we're starting to track their experience, their HCAP scores, things of that nature. Right. And everything's starting to get a little bit colluded. And Reed, we talked a little bit about some of these external sites that we, we mentioned Google and some of these external sites. But think about all those outside sources, too, that are influencing not only just these associations, not only just Google. There are so many business listings that are out there about physicians. So if your physicians are practicing in an actual physical location, that carries a business listing. Yeah. And that and that obviously drives back to Google and Bing and you know some of the more search engine related things. But you're also starting to see, you know, especially in a town like Austin, Yelp really seeing mm-hmm. you know some traffic. And so now you've got something that, in a lot of people's minds, if you ask them, they're like, "I thought that was for restaurants." You know, well, you know, now people are yes, there's a rating and review side, but people are also using that from a location and wayfinding and, you know, information about someone, you know, and that's mm-hmm. not healthcare specific, much like Google or Bing. Then you've got all the random little sites out there like superpages and whitepages.com. And, <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, all those types of things. And it's like, you know, uh, I'm not trying to argue the validity of should you spend your time trying to update super pages, but, you know, there's those types of non-healthcare directories, that's right. Non-healthcare directories are all over the place. But then you also have healthcare directories. We've talked about these before. These large sites that their whole purpose is to drive traffic, physician traffic. They're keeping track of all the doctors in the country. They're creating listings. And the whole point behind that is they're trying to make business from driving people to their site and having people looking on Google to come to their site to do something. And they're turning around and selling those services back to the hospitals and health systems. Right. You look at someone like a health grades or ZocDoc, you know, that's more consumer focused, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at in vitals. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you look at something more like a doximity, however, mm-hmm. that goes back to what we talked about earlier, where it's more of a physician, physician or peer. And it's more about referrals. 
But then you start seeing someone like a Doximity, you know, they've got a pretty robust database. And so now that database is powering the U.S. News and World Report Physician Finder. And so you're, you're finding that a lot of these data sources are influencing and or straight pass through to other experiences. That's a good example of that. You can also find something like uh, a Foursquare. Yeah. It used to be a popular social media app. They've kind of had an about face because people started, you know, you could check in on Facebook and other places. Well, now they've become a data aggregator is basically what they're doing. And they're influencing, you know, their information and their listings are the ones that are getting straight fed into some of the other properties and platforms and and things like that. So... If this wasn't complicated enough, there's a whole nother data sources out there that are influencing this as well, which we haven't really talked about a lot on this program, Reed, but it's those payer categories. Let's first start with like the government, NPI, NPPES. They have these vast databases that sometimes are considered sources of truth for some of these previously mentioned online sites. Sure where they're gathering information about doctors and they're keeping track of that. And that's becoming complicated too and and very much not accurate. And then you have the third-party insurance companies or the the, the, the for-profit insurance companies like United Healthcare or Blue Cross Blue Shield or name any of those. And they're keeping yeah. listings of doctors and physicians so that they could uh, provide these listings to the members of of their healthcare programs. And they have these huge online directories as well. So lots of complexity. And, and I think the idea here is, is that you get the call from the physician because maybe they've recently moved to town and they're like, hey, on health grades, it still shows that I'm in Virginia. Okay. To do that for one person, it's time and effort. I mean, there's a lot of sites to go to. There's a lot of things to check, but you know, it's, it's doable. You, know, you, mm-hmm. you can prob you can probably get that done. The problem comes when someone goes, "Hey, okay, well, I know we fixed that one for Doctor Smith. It just moved to town. What about the other uh, seven hundred and twenty eight members of our medical staff? Is it all is it all correct? I mean, like, oh, uh, what you know, like, what are you even supposed to do with that? You know, exactly, exactly. So that's that's again, this is not the let's fix a one off it's wrong on Google. Granted, don't get me wrong, that's hard enough, but it's more about the overall strategy around how do you become the source of truth and what do we do to make sure that we're you know, providing a good experience for everybody. The physician that that is his listing or her listing, the people trying to find them, uh, whether that be uh, you know consumers or other physicians trying to make referrals, it's a very complex situation. And uh, over the the you know the last decade that we've been dealing with this, Reed, it's only becoming more and more complex because every day it seems like there's a new player in the market that's saying that they're going to solve this problem and or purporting to right. be you know that that solution to this problem is they're going to unify all of this. There are a lot of organizations out there, hospitals and health systems, that are working with solution providers and other organizations, you know, to kind of help solve this problem. And that in and of itself is complicated too. These services, these listing management services. It is. It's a little bit of a black box solution in in some cases. You know, I'll be real honest, having done a fair amount of this, there are some platforms that are relatively straightforward on how you update the data on said platform. 
you know, there's a process for it. You know, Google's a good example. You know, you get a Google My Business account, you claim some listings, you know, you can update them. There's other ones that it's not quite as straightforward and it requires maybe more of a relationship with that platform or that service provider. So I think a lot of what we're seeing from a listing management standpoint or online reputation management standpoint, you know, and I've, I've told people this before and I don't mean this negatively because I think there's an, a, a real reason, you know, to, to go with somebody that does this, especially as your volume of, of listings goes up, but there's not a silver bullet. Like it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, somebody's got this solution out there that it's just plug and play and this stuff will be all fixed in a week. It's just a lot of time and effort. And this goes back to the idea that hospitals don't have a lot of time and they certainly don't have enough people for the effort. And so mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of expertise that's involved and then there's a certain amount of just doing it. I have actually spoken to a lot of physicians directly about the importance of them managing their own listings online, helping them be part of the solution here. It's not just you can't just call someone up in the marketing department or, you know, or you read to say, hey, can you go fix this for me? It's like we all have right. to understand the complexity of the situation. Right. And what we're seeing with the listing management or you know, directory management services in a lot of cases are some of these platforms that allows you to uh, bulk upload. As your number of listings go up, these make more and more sense because they're monitoring. We haven't even talked about the fact that there's duplicate listings you know, mm-hmm. out there. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so you may claim your listing and get everything correct. And then there's other listings that are partially correct or somebody is set up or whatever. And we see that obviously a lot in hospitals where somebody you know, checks in somewhere and now all of a sudden you've got a listing for the ER or women's services that you didn't want. Directory management is really, you know, also the the monitoring and analyzing of health of these listings. And then when there are problems, it allows you to re-upload the correct information in a systematic way. You're not having to go one by one necessarily. Self-management is definitely uh, an option for some mm-hmm. folks, but you really have to weigh the how many listings relative to how many uh, directories I feel like I need to support and then how much time do I have? And then also from a reputation management standpoint, you're looking at some of these directory management solutions and listing management services that have that reputation management side of it because more and more of these directories include some sort of a review star rating, you know, whether it be health grades or vitals or WebMD, that's a whole nother part of the a feature, if you will, of the listing. Even though we really try to work in earnest with some of these other, like the Googles and the Bings and the Yelps and all of these, they're serving different masters, so to speak. They're trying to bring in good revenue. Oftentimes it feels like you're at odds with with them. I remember many years ago, I think it was like maybe six or seven years ago, our good friend Ed Bennett and I tried to start a hashtag around this, hashtag Occupy Google Maps, because we really felt that (laughs) that Google was at odds with us as a a healthcare provider trying to actually fix this problem. We uh, Ed wrote a really nice piece around how to technically solve this, where he he kind of put forth the daring idea that a hospital or health system would be the sole source of truth for having the the data about that physician that's within that that's employed by that hospital or health system. And, And I get where they're coming from, like you know. You got to have somewhat of a hurdle to claim these listings and update them. 
Otherwise, how do you validate that the person wanting to update it is actually the person that needs to update it? So that brings us around to the title or the acronym in the title of our podcast today, which is this concept of a UPP, the Universal Physician or Provider Profile. Okay, so a universal profile. So there would be one profile to rule all the profiles. Is that even a feasible scenario? Well, (laughs) I, I think it's a utopian state. We've talked about utopian states before, but I think that there are some significant challenges with that. Like, first of all, who would own that? Who owns the physician profile? Well, and that, and that's so that's some of the problem, right? Because for it to be the sole source of truth, that means everyone else would have to pull or should pull their data from said profile. So we're right. talking about Google, we're talking about Google, Facebook, Yelp, all these faceless entities. So for that to be the case, is Google really going to go and and suck down a data file from every hospital in the country? Mm. Or how about on the other side, what what about it's the government? Should we have the government manage that? Like Medicare, Medicaid? <laughs> I, I heard your sigh that, audibly, Reed. <laughs> that seems like, have you been to the post office lately? You know, I don't, I'm just not sure. In, in all honesty, like that's, that's it. like who's going to, who in the government's going to do that? You know, so what if the hospital owned it? Well, you know, but it's the physician profile. Okay, well, what if the physician... Well, now we've got, like, like how many physicians are in the U.S.? Hundreds of thousands. So now Google's going to pull a file, like, that many different files, you know, kind of a deal. So, yeah. like, how, how does that happen? And the idea that it's going to happen in the private sector is probably unrealistic in the sense that no one's going to concede control of that mm-hmm. to a company. Chris, you and I can't go start a company and go, okay, you know, we're, we're going to be the source of truth for all physician profile data. And what we would like is for everybody just to agree with us. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not going to happen. You know? Exactly. Because uh, we've already named a number of other folks that participate in this space that are going to go, um, yeah, but we already have a way we do that. And why do you get to do it? Yeah, what what makes your data so much that much better? So, but okay, let's let's assume that we can actually get past that, right? That we fi- figured out a way, Reed, where you and I have gone into the market. We've created maybe a nonprofit that is focused in on we're going to be the sole source of truth, and we get buy-in. We get buy-in from the government, from the hospitals, whatever. Now, how do we make uh, this data, the data model consistent so that it can easily serve to all of these different people that are going to be using it? And how do we keep it updated on a regular basis? How do we in- confirm that the updates we're getting are actually accurate updates? How do we ensure that it's easy to update that information, that we have the right checks and balances? Yeah, it won't matter because hell would have frozen over. <laughs> no, <laughs> I kid. Yeah, so that that's the other piece of this, right? Is like, you still have the issue of, you, know, you still have to ultimately have input from some relative local or regional geography, i.e. Mm-hmm. the physician themselves, somebody the physician works for. Because if someone's holding all the data, that data is going to change. And where do you get the updates from? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're back to where we started. It's just, theoretically, there's one directory to update versus 
300, which that sound that sounds better. You know, if it was like, hey, we need to get all these physicians correct online, I would love to just have one place to go to and be like, hey guys, here's the information that we need to update for this uh, hospital out in West Texas. And then they update it and then it's correct everywhere. You would think that like some of these, these companies that, you know, that are in the data business, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons, this would be something that they would be more interested in, in terms of having that united data integrity and having it easy to update, because quite frankly, having that information makes them that much more powerful. But then again, Mm -hmm. would we turn around and trust them? Would we want a Google or an Apple or an Amazon to have all that information? I don't know if we want them to, but I think they're the only ones that can pull it off. Yeah. You know, and it's probably more on the Google side of the equation. Maybe Amazon. Google already known as like the primary or dominant search engine, at least at this point, and has mm-hmm. business listings and, and whatnot. That would seem to make sense. But then you but then you still have to get everybody else to buy into the fact that they gotta pull their information from Google. Is Bing gonna do that? Yeah, I don't think so. So that that then becomes, you know, part of the issue. Again, you know, we're back to you know, where we started. It sounds like this is something that we all need. I mean, it's critical for our industry. It's critical for patients trying to discover and find the right information about doctors. It's critical for all these different organizations and entities. Yet this concept of having a unified physician profile, I'm not sure that's actually something that is feasible. But, uh, you know, you'd almost have to tie it to what if it was tied to uh, their MPI number? Because you already have to have one, right? Mm-hmm. At, at least to participate in Medicare, Medicaid, you know, CMS or what have you. Every physician's going to have an NPI number, right? Everyone that actually uh, can submit to Medicare, Medicaid to actually get reimbursed by the government. So I guess to some degree, then that's going to carve out people that have gone to concierge medicine, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they won't be part of that. But anyway, it would almost have to be something like that. It's like we have to tie it back to you know one piece of data. So the MPI number or something like that. And then everything else is attached to that number. So wherever that number goes, so goes the profile. So then you're saying, Reed, that the government should manage this. Yeah. I hope I'm not saying that. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 you know you know what I'm saying like I don't know that there's any other there, there's there's not another uniquely identifiable piece of data that's already tied to every physician. I don't believe there is right now. So so that would be that would be the thought you know because then if you wanted to do something if you were a technology provider let's say you just load up the MPI database and it sucks in all those profiles. If you were a hospital. You just load in all your MPI numbers of all your providers, and there's your physician director. The concept sounds simplistic. The way we're trying to simplify this makes it sound like this could be a direction that we go in the future. I think that what's going to happen, honestly, is the hospitals and health systems are going to develop a centralized database that they're going to use to serve all of their internal purposes. And that database is going to have a core set of data that will share information about that physician. They'll have to keep that updated, but there'll be these pockets of additional data that kind of get built on top of it. So if you think about your data marting, we do a lot of data marting in hospitals to try to understand the patient. We're going to do the same thing for all the providers or the physicians that are serving that hospital system. 
And maybe that'll be the PRM. Yeah, so may, maybe it's a hybrid. There's one sole source of truth within the healthcare system itself, mm-hmm. like the like the regional hospital or whatever it is. And then that data is then used by the marketing folks to hopefully push out and claim all these external listings and mm-hmm. or update. And I think if we can get there, if we can move down this path of trying to get rid of disparaged system within your own organization where credentialing has this thing over here, separate pieces in HR, and there's separate pieces in marketing, and there's separate pieces from, you know, the CME department or what have you. You know, that's a decent way. That's a decent way of looking at it. But then that goes back to we need to work with these credentialing companies to make those platforms useful for marketing, not just credentialing. That's right. That's right. We got to understand that it's not a credentialing database anymore. It's a physician database. But then when we take it outside of the hospital system, right, when we take it online, I think that there's going to be some natural alignment. And we mentioned some of the major players, the Googles, the Facebooks, maybe even the Yelp is part of that if they're not purchased by like Facebook, which Mm -hmm. may happen, right? The Amazons, the whoever, they're going to suddenly become like sort of the centralized sources that feed all the other sources. Right now, there's the 50 or so or even more, maybe even 200 different databases that people use. Maybe that'll, there'll be some natural consolidation going on. I, I think, I think you see that, you know, naturally, obviously people run out there, they create new things. Those new things, take off or they don't take off. If they do take off, then bigger companies that are trying to expand, you know, potentially buy those, Mm -hmm. you know, the Amazon, Google, maybe even Apple. And then probably on the payer perspective, you got the government as being one of the major payers that's out there. And then the insurance companies, they're going through a natural consolidation themselves, which may or may not happen. Who knows? I'm not going to weigh into the political aspects of this. But the whole point here is, is that we're going to start to see a sort of a centralization on that level as well, where it's just going to have to happen. We can't continue on down this path. Five years from now, I would say that we would probably have figured out sort of a standardization on the payer level as well of how we're tracking that physician. And then maybe it will be what it'll end up being is when you get that call that says my listing is wrong, hopefully, idealistically, you only have 50 data sources that you have to fix instead of the 5,000 that we have now. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think I may run for public office on the platform of the universal physician profile. <laughs> yeah, I can probably get some traction. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. 
There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, we're back at touch point, touch counterpoint. And today, talking about the, uh, oh, the sole source of truth of the unified physician profile, Chris and I are going to talk a little about a little bit about the validity of that, and here here's where I'm coming from. So my viewpoint on this uh, is probably going to be a little extreme, which would be the point of this whole uh, portion of the podcast, <laughs> yes. I guess. All right, so I'm going to make an argument then that, and, and I don't know how many years in the future it could be five, it could be fifty, I don't know, but I think we are moving towards a place where the actual provider listing online is not going to matter because there really won't be a need for one. I'm not sure what you mean. There's not going to be a need for a physician profile read. I think that's ridiculous. What do you mean? So I think we're going to get to a place where number one, and this is already the case to some degree, based on the insurance that you have, there's only so many places you can go anyway. So that limits the amount of like, you know, searching and sorting. I think you're also going to get to a place of consolidation where really everything is so AI enabled and virtual reality, telemedicine, all these things are going to converge to an extent that you're going to have physicians on your phone, basically, and or you're already seeing concierge medicine do some of this where they're coming to your house and house calls are making a resurgence and things like that. But I think technology is going to drive us to a place that you're not really going to have to look for a physician any longer. So if, if I'm trying to, I'm going to try to mirror back what the argument I'm hearing is, where you're coming combining a couple of ideas here, which is that care is being consolidated. So your healthcare provider uh, is going to kind of align and focus in on that. You don't have that that much choice. And then the whole concept where we've talked about uh, a couple times before around voice first, meaning that there's going to be basically a single answer to that selection that you're choosing. Basically what you're arguing is that in the future, we won't have any choice. We're just going to have one doctor that's going to be with us, whether we like it or not. To some degree. Yeah. (laughs) To some degree. I think that, I think that's what we're seeing. And maybe not, maybe not whether we like it or not, because we're driving down this path of convenience around everything in our life that telemedicine, which I think is good. You know, telemedicine is going to expand and provide us, you know, more real-time, convenient opportunities. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're not going to necessarily have a choice for who is on the other end or other side of that screen. Uh Aha. Okay. So, again, I'm hearing that the more choices there are, we're eventually going to converge back to uh, the fact that there is going to be no choices. We are just going to be following the, the, the path of non-resistance and selecting, we're not even selecting, just whatever doctor comes in our way in our viewpoint, but whether it's through a screen or through a Google search or whatever it might be, that that doctor is going to be the single source of truth for us. And so therefore, we won't have any choice. And you know, I'm saying this kind of in a snide way, because it go- runs counter to everything that we know about consumeristic trends, that we want to have more choices, we want to be able to select the best doctor. Are you suggesting? Are you proposing? that there will be no choice in the future? Mm, I think it'll be close to no choice. 
Hmm. Because again, I think we're going down a path of convenience. And so we, we start asking ourselves, now get, granted, we can get out on the fringes and we can talk about having some super high acuity or some chronic condition. You know, that still may be the outlier or what's a little bit different. But as far as your day-to-day life of going to the doctor, you know, your kid has the flu, you're having allergies, you know, whatever it may be, you know, you, you, you already are like that in your life now relative to episodic care, right? You go into the ER, you're going in, it's just whoever's there. Like you're not going into the ER and choosing which physician you're going to see. And I think we'll see that move its way out into primary care medicine first, where telemedicine is going to drive the choice because we're more in line with convenience of care than we are the type of care. I'm, I'm not going to try to channel too much my Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I heard the cry, collective cries of primary care doctors and family practitioners across the United States call out collectively, what are you talking about? Of course we're going to have more choices. Now, yes, I agree that more people are going to go the route of convenience, and maybe there's going to be people where they don't have a relationship with a primary care doctor, and they're okay with going urgent care. Sure, I could see that. There's going to be a certain set of that. But does that mean that there's going to be no choice in the future, Reed? I think actually argue differently. I think that some people are going to go for that. I want to have a relationship with a primary care doctor that's going to be my primary quarterback in my care. And that's going to be something that we need in the future. I don't think so. I think what's going to happen, gone are the days, at least in my mind, of like when I was growing up and you went to the, you know, the pediatrician in town, I was in a relatively small town, but you go to the pediatrician and you're with that person until you're 18 years old. Now we're probably going to start seeing more employer provided resources like telemedicine. And that's what's going to be the initial driving point. We've got more people in the workforce uh, and things like that, especially in these larger towns. And it's all about convenience. All they know is, look, it's pretty obvious if the kid has the flu, he has the flu. This isn't some like, I wonder what we should do kind of a moment. Or, you know, ear infections and ear infection. I just need somebody to call in the antibiotic. I don't particularly care who that person is calling it in. It's going to be less about where did this person go to school? What did they do? Now, again, you, you, get, on the, you get on the extremes. You get on the, on the top end of that. And that's a little different, obviously, if you're looking at something like a cancer diagnosis. But as you're talking about you know, relationships with primary care physicians. I just, I don't think, and plus I think this is going to allow primary care physicians to see more people in a more convenient way for them as well. Because that's what I want as a patient is to just attend a doctor that has absolutely no clue about me and who I am just to manage my care day to day. Is that right? Of course. (laughs) But now, now granted, I mean, the technology is going to have to catch up with where that's going in the sense that like EMRs are actually going to have to act like EMRs. Like the data is going to have to be there. We don't have time to, you know, backtrack on our, uh, you know, medical history every time we talk to somebody. So like all that's going to catch up eventually because there's no way it can't. The market demands it. That will get caught up and then we'll be, you know, it'll be more of a convenience model than it will be, you know, plus, like, who wants to go into a doctor's office? They're full of sick people. 
fucking <laughs> go in there. <laughs> okay, Reed, I'm, I'm not going to be sarcastically arguing this point with you. I'm going to tell you that I actually think that healthcare itself is a very personal face-to-face uh, relationship that you have to have with people. This is a very personal business. I don't believe that we're going to just pick a number uh, and not have a choice. And even though we talk a lot about having a unified physician profile, which is tying it back to the topic of this of this <laughs> podcast, right? Um, that while we want to have consistency and uniformity, that doesn't mean we're going to eliminate choice. We're actually driving towards more choice and allowing people to nuance who they're going to go uh, seek care from. And I think that we're going to seek more and more differences and uniquenesses in care. We're not going towards that one choice only. It's not going to happen that way. And what we're actually doing by advocating for uniformity to make better decisions so we can actually have more choice. I think somewhere in between. So, and again, if you, if you're we're just talking about profiles, like I can tell you the physician that I go to never looked at his profile. And, and the reason for that is, is because he was recommended via word of mouth. Granted, my situations may be a little bit different than some. I know a fair amount of people that work in healthcare in this market. So I just started asking around like, hey, who should I go to? And they're like, oh, I had like four people tell me the same person. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's probably a pretty good option. I have no idea where he went to school. You know, didn't know what he looked like before I showed up. And But I do think a fair amount of convenience is going to, you know, drive, you know, health delivery as we move forward. Obviously, I'm not, you know advocating that we don't have physician profiles online and it's probably somewhere in between you're gonna have some of the episodic stuff that is not an er or even urgent care related need i don't think that your point is too far off the mark there are going to be some people that are going to want to have that sort of interaction and care with with their provider they don't really care if they're going to telemedicine or urgent care or uh you know a family practice doctor particularly with some of these low level kind of hanging fruits i can even talk to a nurse or, or whoever someone at walgreens right i mean that's that's fine i think that at a certain point though it's really hard to nuance when it's going to become very important for them to have that choice but we want to provide that choice and whether it's through technology through a unified profile profile or whatever it might be we need to make sure that regardless of where you seek out care that a the the provider has the most access to your comprehensive information about who you are and b that you can feel comfortable that the person that you're seeking out care from is going to meet the expectations of that care hey we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors and that's our good friends at binary fountain you know as a healthcare marketer it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com.
All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. In this podcast, Reed and I have been talking a lot about physician list management and some of the challenges that's facing in the digital space. And when we were talking about this, we thought, you know, who is best to uh, be in our expert interview section? And our thoughts naturally went to Cynthia. And so, Cynthia Newton, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your experience? Well, great. Um, I started in healthcare about 20 years ago. In the course of 20 years, um, I started off with a small agency that um, introduced me to the wonderful world of healthcare marketing. Since then, I've worked with over 500 healthcare systems across the country. I've worked with everything from independent physician practices to nationwide urgent care systems to large health systems, academic health systems. And um, it's been a ride over the last, I'd say, seven years. And we started getting into the world of online listing management. But the centralized piece, I think that really brings us to the conversation today was even 20 years ago, was the um, dealing with provider data. So um, even with yellow pages where we included employed physicians in our yellow page ads or in the white pages, uh, we needed a list um, during client intake of provider, employed providers. And it has not changed that this is one of the, the biggest challenges in onboarding a new client for us as an agency, helping them gather all the pertinent pieces of data for their employed physicians and keeping it up to date. So in the yellow page world, you know, it was once a year you had an opportunity to update. So if a doc left, it was in your ad wrong for the remainder of that publication. But today, you know, everything's instantaneous on the web. So keeping that information up to date is even more important and more of a challenge because it's a daily battle versus an annual battle. Well, and more so too, Cynthia, right? It's There's so many different places now that have physician data. So it's almost like the Wild West online. It's not just the single yellow pages or the white pages. Exactly. You know, and really there's no governance either. I think, you know, we talk a lot, um, especially lately on the FCC starting to get involved more in the World Wide Web. Um, but I think part of the problem is that how how the a lot of these reference sites, if you will, um, whether it's a vertical or whether it's just a consumer site like a Yelp or, you know, Moz or there's there's a plethora of them in that they are basically just search engines. So they're search engines within the larger search engines. Um, So we had to kind of go back as an agency and when we started getting into listings management and with all these reference points, where do you start? What are the most important places that your patients or a consumer in your market could potentially reference to look up either your dog, your hospital, or your service lines. You know, I always thought that, you know, the source of truth should come from within that provider, that hospital, or the the health system. Well, I think that's where it needs to start, right? And I think that's where the first challenge is for all of us. And I haven't seen it really improve over the last 20 years, quite honestly. Really, this problem stems within our health systems. We have so many disparate silos of information within our system. So there's a lot of different programs and databases within an organization that have bits and pieces of information relating to our providers. And there seems to be a really set a, a lack of a centralized source of truth or or a house, if you will, of all this information. Recently, I'm, I'm really focused a lot right now on the payer side. 
in our relationship with our payers. Recently, I don't know, I'm sure it's come across your desk and I've heard people reach out to me and say, you know, like, what, what is going on with the CMS audit of payers? You know, CMS, and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty because I don't know a ton about these audits. All I know is that CMS has been going out and auditing payer directory, um, physician directories. And supposedly it was it was kind of brought on by the whole, the healthcare marketplace, consumers going in, selecting a plan based on the fact that their existing provider or the provider they wanted to see accepted XYZ insurance. They chose the insurance through the marketplace and then when push came to shove and they tried to make an appointment, they found out that mm, lo and behold, they didn't accept that insurance. So now you're, you're stuck with an insurance and you have to change your doctor. So CMS started auditing and saying, well, payers, you know, you need to have up-to-date information on the providers that are accepting your insurance. If we have a hard time managing our provider database within our health system, how is a third party like our payers going to be managing that data? How are we communicating that data to our payers? Because if you think about patient engagement, right, there's a lot of focus right now on patient engagement, and you think about the patient-provider um, relationship, there's really like a triangle. I call it the love triangle of healthcare. So if you look and you think about our relationships with our patients, there's the three P's. There's the patient, there's the provider, and then there's the payer. These are all relationships, some most contractual relationships, that we need to ensure that the communication between these three groups are communicating effectively so that if the patient accesses a provider through the payer site, that they're able to make that connection and be able to get accurate information on the provider side. And I mean, I love, you know, my vision is that you could actually book an appointment right through your providers, um, your payer site into the provider. I mean, that would be a beautiful world. I'm seeing the payer, the payer sites are actually now including patient feedback. The interesting thing is as somebody who's not a, a subscriber to that insurance you can't see that. If you're just visiting that provider profile as in not logged in, you wouldn't be able to see those reviews. So conversely, it's kind of interesting that they're not indexing those reviews in, in a search algorithm. So the payer directories are still having a tremendous difficult time getting up there on search results for provider search. And I'd really like to see them much higher up in the search results when it comes to a provider search. Um, what what are a couple of tips that you would give hospitals or health systems that are looking to look at uh, looking into list management? How, how should they get started? Because it sounds like a huge task. Our first role is to look inside our organization and say, you know, how are we managing this data? You know, and be the advocate to open up lines of communication between the parties that should be included. There's huge opportunities for us to increase that engagement with our patients on our own sites first and foremost with true real-time online appointment setting and then looking at the integration points on third parties. But I think that integration really is not going to be successful unless we're able to manage that underlying core data of where's that provider at. And 
you know, is that accurate on these third parties? But I think that, you know, the, the payer side is going to be um, the most underutilized right now as an access point. And I think it's probably one of the, the biggest, most important relationships that we need to focus on. All right. Well, that leads us to then this concept of the unified physician profile, unified provider profile. And it really ties into this idea of how are we communicating these changes to what seemingly is for many of us a large group of contracted payers, You know, if you look at any health system, they probably are contracted with upwards of 20, 25 different payer groups. You know, that's a lot of relationships to manage and to submit data to. You know, and right now, how it's being done is a little scary. You know, I've talked to numerous payers to find out how are they verifying because they're charged by CMS to have accurate data. And they're being told that it has to be updated quarterly. And from my understanding of what I've heard, a lot of it is done through phone verification. So they have call banks calling all their contracted providers to phone verify the information. Well, if you look at the provider side and you have all your practice managers and you have your folks answering the phones, um, your your, your first inclination is that you want to be serving patients calling in, right? Um, now you add to it that you have payers calling those sites to verify information. So if you have 25 contracted payer groups calling your organization every quarter, gosh, that just seems like an awful lot of, you know, verification and room for inaccuracies. Um, so the idea of having a centralized place where all verified provider data resides and the individual, the payer side can access it and pull it and know that this is verified patient provider data straight from the provider side. I mean, that's a beautiful world that I think is, is obtainable. I think the only issue is that, you know, how many sources could there possibly be for that? There really only could be one, you know, and how do you accomplish that? You know, one would have thought that the obvious person would have been CMS themselves. You know, so there's the NPPES, which is the database that houses all the NPI information. And um, that, to me, when I first started digging in on this side, I thought, wow, well, that's sure to be, you know, a place for accurate information. And what I quickly found when I started auditing and, you know, randomly auditing for, for my clients, and then what I found was that it was more than, more than 50% inaccurate. You know, some providers see patients at maybe, you know, three or four or five different addresses with different phone numbers sometimes. Well, the NPPS only accounts for the billing address and the primary office location. So it's really not designed to house all the information related to that provider. Thing. I think they missed the boat, and nor am I really sure that they should be the, the place to house all that information. I think they could be an end user, but I do love the concept of one organization being the, the supporter of this UPP. To me, it still sounds like this UPP 
is a desired state, but I think it might be a little bit too difficult the way we've kind of built the system now. Yeah, you know, I think that if you get the right parties together, um, I think it can be done. And I think that there needs to be some limitations. You know, my thought process is that, again, it goes back to that triangle. Who should be included in this and, and have access to this information? And bare minimum, it's the provider organization. It's the payer organizations. And then that through those two channels, it's the patients are going to have access to it. Um, but I don't think, like, I wouldn't see a role for the GMBs or the vertical sites having access to those UPPs. I, I just, the, that's a commercial world that, you know, the, it's a marketing tactic. And I don't think it's, it's part of that relationship, that contractual relationship in that patient relationship. Clearly, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, this, this is a, a complex problem, right? And, but yet a very important one. And I think that you have a lot of insight and could be very useful for some of our, some of our listeners that might want to learn a little bit more. And how could people get a hold of you, Cynthia? What's the best way to, for them to reach you? Um, the best way is to where I'm very accessible. We have a website, HCCG dash or hyphen inc.com. We also have a secondary one, which is expertconvo.com. Directory doctor is my, is my Twitter handle. Um, link, I'm also on LinkedIn and um, feel free. Um, I do try to do a lot of posts to LinkedIn about various um, discussions that I come across related to these topics uh, as well as um, I don't tweet as much as um, some others, but I, I try to tweet when I have something that I feel is relevant to share. Well, you know, I encourage everybody to follow you um, online and, and to reach out to you if they have more questions. Thank you so much for your time today, Cynthia, and being part of our podcast. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the invitation and have enjoyed our time together. All right, wrapping up episode 26 on the Univide Physician Profile. So good episode, good interview. Thanks to everybody that participated. Again, thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to check them out. Um, as we wrap up, uh, Chris, do you have a, uh, a recommendation for the week? I do, read, And, you know, we've talked a lot about developing a smart home. We've, we've mentioned that a couple of times about the application to healthcare. I started to get really curious about doing this. And I have to say that in the last couple of weeks, maybe the last couple of months, I actually purchased the TP-Link Smart LED Light Bulbs. So mm. like a smart light bulb, I thought I'm going to try this out to be just to see what it's like, you know, just, just out of curiosity, tie it to my, uh, my echo device so I can turn on the light bulbs when I come home just to see how it would be. And, you know, I've tried out different things and the light bulb itself actually ends up being something that I am really pleased with. So again, this is called the TP link smart led light bulb. I got one just to try it out, and they're you know they run on Amazon. A little bit more expensive. They're twenty one dollars for a light bulb. You would think that's a lot of money for a light bulb. The thing about it is though, they do have a warranty. They have a two year warranty. It has an LED in inside the light bulb itself. So imagine like a regular light bulb with a little LED light at the bottom. 
It has the dimmable capability, so you can actually, with your voice, dim the light bulb. And I'm going to tell you something. This is very, very cool. I really enjoy it. I think I'm going to order some more for my household. I could turn on with my voice the light bulb. I can dim it with my voice. Cool. LED light bulb that you can control with your voice. There you go. That's my recommendation, Reed. Awesome. Just more more evidence that everything's moving towards convenience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your recommendation, Reed? Um, so I um, I like to get out and ride my bike every so often, cycle, not Harley. And so when I do, I use an app called Strava, which a lot of people probably use for their workouts, uh, whether that's running or biking or whatever it may be. I found this other website slash app called Relive, and it's R-E-L-I-V-E dot C-C relive.cc and what you do is you can you can set up an account it's free on relive and you can connect your strava account to it that you're uh under armor which owns uh indomondo now uh garmin polar there's a couple of options there that you connect to when you go out and you, and you ride uh, and you come back and your workout's finished or whatever it automatically then gives you this cool little video uh, and shows you riding through what would be like the satellite images of that area. And uh, it shows like a cool little like line drawing all around, like through the hills and over, you know, through the country and all that kind of stuff. So uh, relive.cc, it's just kind of a neat way to go back and look at, uh, look at your ride, uh, your uh, workout and uh, share that. You know, I have to say, Reed, I do also ride my bicycle and I use, you know, I use other apps to kind of map my ride. Oh, there, there you go. That's the app name. But, uh, (laughs) but uh, I really was thinking it was pretty cool the other day when I saw that and when you posted the video, the satellite video Mm -hmm. of where you rode, I found that to be pretty cool. So I am going to download that. So does, I got to ask you though, Reed, does it sync with like a Fitbit or something like that? I don't, I, I just know that so I use Strava to to do my to do my rides, and so I was able to connect my Strava account, so it just auto does it when I'm done. Yeah, well, that's cool. cool. I'm gonna go try it out just so I can show people the cool places from a satellite perspective I've rode, and there that's you right. go. Maybe you and I can start to get a little competition going here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, good recommendations. Uh, good topic this week. Uh, a lot of complexity to it. Yeah, I would love to hear from folks online, LinkedIn or otherwise, uh, struggles or uh, even uh, really be even better if somebody has some successes and tips and things like that on uh, directory management. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from people. We'd love to hear just other ideas too. If you, not only on this topic, but other ideas that you have, uh, you know, we we are doing this for you guys. So let us know. Before we end the, the podcast, I think we need, do need to mention the fact that we're going to be at the healthcare and internet conference this year. Yes, that is uh, the, towards the end of October. Um, it is here in the beautiful state of Texas, in Austin, Texas, at the JW Marriott. You can check them out online at HCIC, like Healthcare Internet Conference, hcic.net. Okay, Reed, it's going to be October 23rd through the 25th in Austin, Texas, at the JW Marriott. We will be recording an episode of Touchpoint live on that Tuesday afternoon. So more to come on that. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you. Let us know if you're actually going to be there. Or if you want to know more about the conference, let us know. We'll be happy to uh, 
give you our two cents. Uh, but yeah, should be a lot of fun. All right. Well, great episode. He's Reed Smith and I'm Chris Boyer. And this is the Touchpoint Podcast. See you guys all next week.